Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, the Other People Podcast is a listener-supported program. All episodes of this show are free. There are nearly 500 episodes and counting. They're all available for free. There is an Other People app. That, too, is available for free. Everything is free. So I count on the support of listeners to help keep this thing rolling. If you like the show and you want to show your support, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. That's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Okay, let's get started. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host. Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome <laughs> right. to the Other People Podcast. I'm Brad Listy. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles, California. I have Elizabeth Allen on the program today. She makes her return uh, after many years. I think it's been, what, three, four, five years. She was my guest, and uh, I think it was episode 99. And she was just here in town, uh, I want to say a couple of weeks ago. She took a train from Michigan, where she lives, down to Los Angeles, took an Amtrak train. It's a lifelong dream of hers to take an Amtrak train across the country. She did it. She uh, arrived in Los Angeles. She rented a car. She came over to my house and sat down with me and we talked. It was great. It was great to see her. And uh, I'm going to share that conversation with you in just a bit. Uh, speaking of being in transit. Oh, and I should say, I should uh, plug her books. And uh, it's, it's a very big year for Elizabeth on the publishing front. She uh, published Earlier this year, a novel called Persona. She uh, just published a short story collection called Saul Stories, which is available from Short Flight Long Drive Books. And uh, I believe coming up is a poetry collection called Elizabeth Allen. So three books in a year. It's like a full, it's like a complete set. And, uh, you know, we talk about all of that. So. Uh, just give me a, a couple of minutes and then we'll get to Elizabeth Ellen. I want to talk about being in transit, you know, as I uh, think about Elizabeth on the train and uh, the experiences she had socially and otherwise on the train. Uh, it, it makes me think of uh, an Uber experience I had just yesterday where I was uh, in, in an Uber. Uh, we were driving across Los Angeles. It was like a round trip experience. So I had one drive with a, a guy, you know, who was uh, very interested in talking with me and telling me about his uh, electronic vehicle. Like you get in the back and the guy just immediately started in 
telling me about his car. It just, you know, he wanted an audience. He wanted to uh, connect. And I found myself feeling a little bit annoyed and then sort of noticing that and, and thinking to myself like, well, it's, he's just being friendly. And yet as the driver, isn't it, isn't like a it proper etiquette to let the passenger initiate the conversation, kind of follow their lead. What if they want a little peace and quiet? What if they've had a very hectic day? So there was that. And, uh, and then on the uh, return trip, I had like a, I want to say like a 65 year old woman, like total grandma, you know, she had kind of like short hair. It's like sort of like Midwestern grandma. I don't know how better to describe her. Nice lady. She, uh, she picks me up. We have like, we exchanged some brief pleasantries. She had like a bag full of Snickers bars and other candy for her passengers. There was hand sanitizer. You know, she kind of went the extra mile. I think it was left over from Halloween, but I was talking to her and then her phone rang. She put it on speakerphone and the volume was very high, like excessive iPhone volume. And I think it was her daughter and she just starts talking to her daughter, which means that I had to sit there and listen. It was on speakerphone and her daughter was eating, <laughs> uh, while this conversation was happening. And if there's one thing in this earth that grates on me, it's anybody who would eat during a phone conversation. I find that outrageous. You're chewing into a phone while someone's talking to you. It's disgraceful. It's an outrage. So I'm sitting there and just like, I'm like, my God, this woman is imposing this on me. Like put, you know, put it to your ear, put in your earbuds. I don't need to hear this. Sorry, I'm eating lunch. You know what? Do one or the other. You're either on the phone or you're eating lunch. You're not doing both at the same time. Where were you raised? And, uh, don't tell me that you can't. No, I just have to. No, you can, you can stop eating while you're on the phone. And if you're that busy, you know, I'm sorry, I, I hate to break it to you, but you're just going to have to skip a meal. Can't eat on a phone. It's not, a, it's not allowed. So anyway, this conversation continues. I have no choice but to eavesdrop. And this like 65 year old white, like super grandma, that's kind of how I would characterize her talking to her daughter and I uh, can't help but notice that she keeps referring to uh, what was it? It's like, I know that one of the people she kept referring to was Tupac. And then the other one I think was bugger. <laughs> they were talking about like a birthday party, like a brunch. And she was like, is Tupac, I mean, Tupac and bugger going to be there? Well, we're going to have to get extra seats for Tupac and bugger. And I'm like, you know, how can, how does this woman know somebody named Tupac, which then I started to check with myself. I'm like, well, why wouldn't she know somebody named Tupac? It's a perfectly fine name. This woman can know, you know, it's entirely possible. She may know somebody named Tupac, but it just seemed out of context to me. You got like super grandma talking to her, you know, uh, presumably like a Caucasian daughter about Tupac and bugger going to brunch. <laughs> Are you with me on this? Am I, am I crazy for thinking this was a little odd or at least like I got curious about it. So finally the conversation ends and I was like, excuse me, like I couldn't help but notice, like, were you referring to somebody named Tupac? And she was like, oh yeah, you know, like I have a uh, brother-in-law. She's like, my husband is Peruvian. 
Let's see if I can get this right. My husband is Peruvian. And then I have a brother-in-law who is Welsh, who's deep into Inca, uh, like Incan culture, like the Incas. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's like, he's Welsh and he's practically albino, but he's very much into Incan culture. And, uh, he named his uh, firstborn child Tupac. So there you go. Mystery solved. And I forget, she had more to say. Like, I want to say that he had an, uh, you know, another child that he, he gave another Incan name. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't Bugger. I don't know who Bugger was. I never got, a, I never got around to asking her. But, uh, you know, she stopped the vehicle. We chatted for a little bit. She was very nice. And then before leaving, I did take a Snickers bar from her vehicle. Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Elizabeth Ellen is my guest. She has three books out this year. Uh, two of them are all, you know, I think already out and available. The first is a novel. It is called Persona. The second is a, a story collection just published. It's called Saul Stories, available from Short Flight, Long Drive Books. And then uh, coming up soon is a poetry collection called Elizabeth Ellen. So here she is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Elizabeth Ellen. It was two nights and three days, um, and I had my own small compartment without a bathroom so just like a tiny closet sized room with a big window and uh chairs that fold down into a bed at night okay and no bathroom no like you share a bathroom in the hall with uh maybe five other people how's that it was challenging to be able to wash your face because the sink was really, really tiny. And, oh, God. It sounds like <laughs> hell. And there is a shower, but I didn't use it. I didn't shower for three days because it was just, I don't know, the idea of showering in there was not something I wanted to Who's do. Who's cleaning the Amtrak bathrooms? Is well, it really happening? Let's be honest. I had dinner with this woman that told me she takes the train a lot. I had dinner with two women two nights in a row that both said they have a fear of flying and they both take the train. And the one lady brings gloves and Clorox, and every time she cleans the bathroom right away herself, and then 
she can use it. I want to travel with her. Right. I know. It's like, I wish I was in your car, but I was in a different car. Yeah. You got to bring disinfectants. Like I think like bringing like wipes onto an airplane, my wife usually takes care of that stuff, but like wipe down the tray tables and there's a lot of germs. So is there an option on a train? Can you get one with your own bathroom? Yeah, you can, but it's really expensive. It is. And then somebody told me that even when you do that, the toilet is like in the shower. Like you have to, yeah. (laughs) So it didn't really sound that great anyway for the money. It's disgusting. So was it all, I mean, because the thing at the same time, there is a romance about train travel that Uh I, I, I understand that. Like it's something that I think I would like to do at some point, maybe not three days, but like just to do like a big long day or two. It went really fast. Like I was surprised how fast it went and I really enjoyed it. Um, I slept like 12 hours, which I usually sleep like six because the trains just so lulls you to sleep and there's nothing else to do. And, um, I don't know. The people were pretty interesting. And last night, two guys got kicked off for smoking. <laughs> so Cigarettes? Was, yeah. You get kicked off. Yeah. They're like, if you're caught smoking, the next stop will have the police escort you out. And I was trying to look because I didn't, I don't know if the police actually came. There's but no place to smoke on a train? You're allowed to smoke at certain stops. Like if there's a stop that's long enough, they let all the smokers outside. And they but there's smoke. not a smoking car? No, not really? anymore. Uh-uh. I oh. mean, there's no smoking on airplanes anymore. It's... I you know, sound we, like my mom. My mom was like shocked. She's like, what? They don't let them smoke? <laughs> it's like one car. It's a long train. It's not like yeah. a tiny airplane. No. So you just have to, maybe like every third stop, they let you smoke. Anything creepy? Because like the, the thing too is that like, you know, I guess if you have your own compartment, you can lock the door. You feel like you can be shut off from other passengers. But like... No, it was a bun- me and a bunch of 65, 70, 75-year-olds. So... But like, they, they can be creepy. <laughs> I think all the creepy people were in coach and I was in the, like, if you have your own room, you're in a separate area. Oh, you're so, cordoned off from the creepy. Yeah, yeah. The people that get kicked off were in coach. That's like where the trouble happens. That's right. <laughs> the <laughs> riffraff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So, and it went fast. And like the other thing I've heard, cause Amtrak did this writer's residency. I don't know if they still do that. Huh. where they, they give away cross-country train tickets or whatever it is, long-distance train travel to writers who can be like the writer-in-residence oh, okay. on a train, which makes some sense because um, it, it feels like you would probably not have great phone connectivity. Speaking of no, right. no smartphones, sort of enforces uh, like a degree of focus upon you that you might not be able to muster otherwise. And uh, there's that movement, which I think is stimulating creatively. Just to be in motion oh, like that. I was like, what movement? <laughs> you mean the actual movement? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, so there's that, uh, the old timiness of it. I don't know. Like the, like that makes some sense to me. Like, did you feel any like, uh, inclination to write while you well, were on the train? Yeah, I did take a ton of notes and I was also reading travels with Charlie by Steinbeck. I don't know if you've read that, No. But that's his, it's all about him traveling when he was about 65, he got a truck and went for three months with his dog, Charlie, across America because he said he hadn't he'd been living in New York City, which he said isn't the real America. So he wanted to get back out. And so I was reading that. What the fuck is the real America? <laughs> I hate when people talk like that. Oh, it's not the real America. Well, I don't know. You know, everything he wrote was of the working class, I think. So I think he felt he had lost touch with working class people. So he was Los Angeles is the real America. <laughs> You're sitting in it right now. <laughs> but yeah, so I was reading, taking a lot of notes and sleeping. That was about it. That's and good. eating. You think you're going to write about this in a book? I don't know about in a book, but definitely something will something. come of it. Yeah. You work really, I feel like you work pretty autobiographically. 
Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get away from that now, though. <laughs> I thought, here's, okay, so here's the thing. I was thinking about you. Um, I read, is it, how do you pronounce the title of your novel? Persona. persona. It's Persona. Yeah. It's not Persona A. No, but I think it's funny when people say, that'd be fine, too, if they want to call it That's what it I'm going to say. Okay, pers- I thought Persona it was Because per- I thought, like, the way that the cover was designed. Sounds sci-fi, Persona yeah, A. Persona A, Kid A. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. But, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the cover design, like, the way it was presented, like, led me to wonder or something. Mm, the some, Slash. The Slash, yeah. Um, but I felt to myself, and you know what? I said the same thing to Chelsea Martin, who's a buddy of yours. I said, when I read you, there is, uh, a real fearlessness. Oh yeah. I heard you say that to her and I was like, I'm fearless too. (laughs) I feel feel like you are though. I feel like you are. I feel like I'm like, Oh, she's going there. Like I have that Uh kind of conversation with myself when I'm reading you. Yeah. And then I think about the fact that you don't have a smartphone. Mm -hmm. You live up in Michigan, sort of disciplined (laughs) about removing yourself from, um, you know, all of that static uh-huh. online and you're also like at a removed geographically from, you know, these like really like, uh, like what do you call them? Like cultural hotspots or whatever. New like, York and LA. Yeah. The New York and LA. So you sort of have, um, some isolation. Does that, do you think that factors into your ability to go there? Like, do you feel like probably, I don't know. That's how I'm calculating it in my head, like roughly. I'm like, I think that's why she can do it is because... Because <laughs> I don't see people and... Yeah. And you're just not like, I don't know. I mean, part of it is, I think, just uh, courage. And then part of it might just be like disposition or something. But I think if you're... I think that is when, when I do, like, I'll give my laptop to a friend or somebody to keep at their house and I don't have a smartphone. So then when I go like two, three weeks without being online, I do feel like, oh, I'm just living my normal life. I'm not part of this other community anymore. I don't have to worry about it. Or It's, it's like a kind of suicide. <laughs> suicide. No, it is. Like to okay. not have a social media presence, to not have like an online presence. Like it's a, it's a kind of like if you actually cut yourself off, it's a kind of death. Like, oh, I'm no longer on Instagram. I'm no longer on Facebook. Or it's just being like what normal people used to be. Because I was thinking how little we used to know about authors that we liked and i kind of feel like that was now i feel like we're more interested in their personal life than what they're writing almost it's more i don't know do I you am. feel that way yeah look at me <laughs> well right you're doing a podcast <laughs> but i don't know it's, it's kind of nice to have some mystery there i think i think so too but you know i i yeah, I mean, I, I remember those arguments. I remember Eddie Vedder strangely making that <laughs> argument on MTV. Like, really? You, yeah, like when I was in like high school, it was like, don't, I don't want to dissect the video to Jeremy for you. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Like, it yeah. means whatever you know the viewer wants it to mean for them, and he didn't want to like intrude upon that personal yeah. interpretation. So, I sort of get that, but then. Um, and how much do we know about Eddie Vedder? I guess we don't really know that much. Did you see that document? I talked no. about the documentary <laughs> about uh, Pearl Jam, like that Cameron Crowe directed huh. to celebrate like 20 years of Pearl Jam uh, or something. Huh. I haven't seen it. And uh, I found myself, I had like a crush on him, like a man crush. Before the documentary or? No, after. Oh, uh-huh. Like I, I was a Pearl Jam fan like in high school. I remember they were mm-hmm. like popular like my senior year yeah. of high school, but I didn't hang on to that. Mm-hmm. I've never seen him in concert or anything. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's a bit of nostalgia. Like, but nothing... if you, weren't you in the, like, you have to choose between Nirvana and Pearl Jam? Or no? No, I never took it that seriously. I like Nirvana, oh, too. I took it seriously, and I was like, I'm Nirvana. Camp. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but... yeah I, I actually went in college. I had, like, a, like, I never, like, got, like, deep into Kurt Cobain while he was alive, mm-hmm. though I liked Nirvana. But then I developed a really intense uh, affection for Nirvana 
like right around the end of college. Okay. Which would have been, you know, what, I guess like probably th- three or four years after he died. Like 97. Yeah. He died in 94, didn't mm-hmm, he? Yeah. yeah. So that, that was like three years after his death. I finally was like, oh, wow. I really like these <laughs> Check guys. Check this guy out. <laughs> yeah, Check this band out. He's going places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't really have like a, I didn't pick a team or anything like that, but this video or this documentary about Eddie Vedder, um, it was, it was just like this crazy story of like guy working as like a janitor or some like dead end job mm-hmm. in San Diego, like surf bum who then like real, you know, hears about like some sort of audition for a lead singer for this a, is Eddie Vedder was working yeah. as a, okay. Yeah. So he's like in San Diego. I mean, if I'm remembering this correctly, he was like just surfing and like drifting and then heard about this, you know, band that he had liked that needed a new lead singer or something like mm-hmm. that. And he like sent like a cassette tape of himself <laughs> up to Seattle and they were like, we'll fly up here. Like we like what we heard on tape, like fly up here and we're going to like test you out. Right. And so like they went to some bar or someone's, you know, weird loft in the basement or something where they had like a recording space set up. And like he went in and like that night they like laid down tracks that like basically went on to the, the to 10 to 10. Wow. Yeah. And like that song, um, I want to say it's called release me. Mm, I don't know that one where he's like singing about his dad and stuff. Like he like made, I want to say he like made that up that night. It's like, it's like, that's not a li- alive. His, that's not alive. Yeah. Oh. His, his dad died. No, no. I mean, the song is alive. No, 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 no. But like, I think same themes maybe, oh, Okay. but it's like a slower song and, I don't even know how we got deep this deep into Pearl Jam, <laughs> but basically watching that documentary, it's like one of those stories where you're like, I can't believe this fucking happened. I think how you hype this podcast is like, we get deep into Pearl Jam. Like <laughs> people totally want to listen. <laughs> I did. I mean, this is a, I mean, I watched this years ago and I think I did a whole monologue about Eddie Vedder. Like, you know, like what is like a embarrassment of riches he has. Like he's good looking. He can sing. Is he? He's yeah. His, I mean, right. I mean, like. He's okay. Yeah. He's okay. Yeah. He's no Kurt Cobain, but. Kurt Cobain. <laughs> Did you watch that Kurt Cobain documentary? On yeah. Him? Yeah. I watched that one. You like that one? Yeah. I watched it a year ago. I remember it being sad, but. Yeah. Well, what is it about Kurt Cobain that appeals to you? <sighs> I don't know. I probably liked beautiful, sad boys a lot. <laughs> he's very, but Kurt Cobain, very small. He's like Pequeno. Yeah, yeah. Very vulnerable and... Small, vulnerable and But sad. also masculine. I don't know. And, but, yet, but yet that voice, like all that, yeah. like, you know, power. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I watched that movie and like the, the scene where he's with that girl who's like mentally disabled, right? Oh, the, the animated Down scene. syndrome. Yeah. yeah. The sex, I was just like, oh man. If that, isn't that like, I don't know if that happened or... I don't know. There's like rumors about whether that happened or not. What do you think of Courtney? I love Courtney Love. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I was just listening to uh, Celebrity... What's it called? Celebrity Skin. Oh, yeah. I love that. I, I love Live Through This. Like, I used to listen to a lot albums. of Hole when I was delivering pizza. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's another band I came to too late, though. I feel like I always miss the party. Like, I'm always like, a, you know, I'm a minute too late on everything. So you didn't go to Lollapalooza and Never. all that stuff? I'm, I didn't do so much. Mm-hmm. Did you do everything? Well, now you're ripe for your midlife crisis doing stuff. I don't. I feel like I had a I went to Lollapalooza. I saw Hole, but that's about it. Did they perform well? Like, was she on? Yeah. It was like, was it a year after Kurt died? I think. Um, Yeah. 
Uh, you know what? I'm getting ready to, this is a good time to break news. I got to make sure I get this right, but I'm getting ready to interview. Courtney Love. No, I wish. <laughs> um, but her, I want to say her bass player. Oh, is it like Melissa? No, it's no. like Patty. Oh, well, Patty's the, is Maybe, Patty the drummer? Is she the drummer? I could have yeah. this wrong, but my agent co-wrote a book with her. And they're going to come over here and I'm talk pretty to sure me. she's the drummer. And there was also a documentary about her that was really good on Netflix. I should watch that. This is just like a, <laughs> we're selling <laughs> documentaries tonight. About bands that were popular in the 90s. Yeah, grunge. Grunge bands. Um, there should so, be more grunge in literature, I think. You th- I feel like maybe you, you've got the flannel on right now. If, if it's people... not a flannel, but it looks like a flannel. It's, oh, it does. It's okay. cotton or oh, it regular is. cotton. But, but it's like got the plaid yeah. pattern that kind of is reminiscent. I'm trying to bring grunge into the literary scene <laughs> i feel like you have a very um this is another thing about you is that in addition to having like admirable discipline with respect to social media uh-huh. i also feel like you have pretty good mastery of the internet in terms of like branding really i do i do i feel like here's what i would say about you i feel like you have um like there's a distinct style to you my writing or to me? Well, both. Okay. But like visual style and also like, like literary style. Like I Interesting. feel, but I'm thinking in terms of like, um, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm from the Midwest and you're from the Midwest and mm. there are certain like things that I feel like, well, yeah, Elizabeth sort of like embodies all that for me. Hmm. Am I crazy? I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know what my branding is, but <laughs> <laughs> I always think that I'm not, I don't have branding, but, but it's like your author photos are very distinct. I guess they used to be. Yeah. They're in, but they, I mean, they are definitely different than most author photos. Yeah, I guess so. What was that? Like what went into that? And like, let's describe some of these, like some of these author photos. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> what you're like, I mean, I've seen like, there's author photos where like you're in a bikini or like, you know, you're, am I right? author photos i mean there's probably a photo of me in a bikini but it's they're, not an author photo but they're on like blogs or literary yeah. sites i don't know i went crazy when i was in my 40s you did i mean i'm still in my 40s but <laughs> I, the early 40s i went crazy she's completely sane now but like yeah. earlier in the 40s um did you really go crazy or are you just kidding well i mean not like crazy i wasn't like locked up or something but i just mean <laughs> you know how like you have different periods in your life and i think that was just the period where I was like, I'm going to have photos. Like, I don't know. I didn't think of it as branding, but just like, but it does brand you on the internet. I, I Cause I don't, so. a lot of times I don't think of it that way either. Mm-hmm. Like, you think like, you're just at home. Like, I'm going to take a photo next, thing you know, now it's branding. Or now something. I'm talking about, like, yeah. now it's like Madison Avenue. Yeah. I've ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what was going on in my head, but well, it's, it could be like last, I mean, like, I feel like a certain sense of like, you know, you're in your forties, you're still young, but like, you know, like, or at least I feel like any day now, any it's day to go, <laughs> you know, but it, or, it, or it's more just like, I feel close enough to my twenties to really know what it's like to be young, mm-hmm. but I'm also now close enough to like being 60. Mm-hmm. You're at this, like, you know, it's like this equidistance between like really being an old adult mm-hmm. and being a young adult. I think I feel now like edging toward the end of my 40s the most liberated i've ever felt in my life from what everything because it's like my dad was probably 52 when he died really suddenly and so i'm like any you know you i mean obviously your whole life you could go in a car crash or anything but i'm just like why worry about xyz because you know 
may not be around much longer. Yeah. And so I think that's really liberating to when you have that realization. How did he pass away? Um, he got this, uh, it's called Kreutzfeldt Jacobs disease. It's a brain disease related to mad cow disease where everything's really accelerated. So he was super athletic and active skiing, golfing, blah, blah, blah. And then like within three months he was dead. Like he just, he didn't know what he had. He thought he was going crazy. He thought he was an alcoholic. And, um, then it just, it shuts your body down. Your how brain do you, how down. do you get this? Just they genetic? don't know. You don't know. I, I looked it up because they told me it wasn't genetic and that it wasn't contagious. But now I found out there's like 7% chance that it's genetic. Like you could, there's 7% chance I could get it or something. And so what, like what happens? Um, you just, your body just shuts down. It's just your brain gets, it's a disease of the brain. So at first you get like personality change, anxiety, depression, which I'm like, Oh, well, how would I know? I already have, all those. <laughs> but You're like, I'm yeah. halfway there. Yeah. He like, I remember him calling me and he used to run every day and all of a sudden, like the cars, it felt like they were coming too close to him. He couldn't like wait in line at the grocery store. And I was like, Oh, you're just having panic attacks or something. But that wasn't like him. It was just the beginning, but he didn't know. And then you start shaking. So he thought it was his alcoholism. So he quit drinking, but, and then within like six weeks, he was like in a hospital bed dying and good God. Did you, did he live, would you live with him growing up? Oh no, I, I barely knew him, but I did fly down, um, and saw him before he died. And I think we talked about this actually. Did we in the last one? Maybe it's like hard to remember. Let's not talk about it. (laughs) But anyway, so that just gives you the liberty of like, well, shit that can happen. So, and like it can happen. And the thing too, is that like, it can happen when you're in your Mm -hmm. twenties, maybe you feel it more acutely as you get a little bit older, but I have these arguments with people I work with because I, I ride my bike to work and I don't wear a helmet mm, uh-huh. and I'm riding through Los Angeles on a bicycle yeah. and I'm like, knock on wood, you know, right. like, but they're always like razzing me. <laughs> it's a 10 minute ride. Yeah. I'm not like super busy streets. I don't want to like, I want to paint. I don't, I want to make sure I paint this picture accurately. Like I'm not in the middle of some crazy busy. But um, why don't you just wear a helmet? Well, A, I don't have one, <laughs> but then B, there's a part of me. that's like, I didn't wear a fucking helmet when I was a kid and I was, right. like, and I was like going off ramps. And yeah. Like, none of us wore helmets. Yeah. And it's like, and I, I know I wasn't in like the city of Los Angeles when I was a kid, but I was still like whizzing through traffic. Mm-hmm. I used to ride around on a moped without a helmet when I was a kid on the back of a moped. Like mm-hmm. when my buddy, uh, I was at my buddy's house when I was like in fourth or fifth grade and his parents were like the cool parents mm-hmm. and they had like four wheelers. We must have been going 50 miles an hour on a four-wheeler down like a country road and then like through like a cornfield, like off of a huge like mud ramp. Sounds awesome. It was so fun. <laughs> no fucking helmets. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, and then like I think of the world and I think of like all the people in the world, like all over the place. You go to Asia, you go to Vietnam, you go to Europe, you go, some people wear helmets. Yeah. Most people on bikes, they're not wearing helmets. Yeah. And like cars got, are the most, da- you know, most dangerous are, that we do all the time. It's like, calm down a little bit. Like yeah. everyone's so fucking terrified. And it's like, oh yeah. I, I sometimes feel like, uh, it's easy to get caught up in that. It's like, oh, you know, you don't have a helmet on. Like my daughter has one of those scooters Yeah. where you like step on it with one, not like, and when I say scooter, it's just like the little razor scooter. Mm, yeah. We, she wears a helmet. That's what I was going to ask you. Are you going to have her not wear a helmet when she's riding a bike around? No, she has to wear a helmet. (laughs) (laughs) She's got to wear two helmets, one for me and one for her. So I don't know if I'm being an idiot, but like, I also feel like it's a test of my, um, concentration. Like, I think if you're really focused and you're really paying attention to your surroundings, you're not like lost in your thoughts. 
right. and like not paying attention, I think you, you can like watch out for cars. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like make sure nothing's coming, you know? Like, yeah, it'll probably be okay. I don't know. How did we get onto this? Oh, just like death and like how it can come for you at any moment and how you shouldn't get caught up in worrying about shit that doesn't matter. Social media. Social media. Yeah. I feel trapped in social media. I just heard this guy the other day compare it to a cult because you don't want to leave it because all your friends are there. And that's how a cult is. If they can get your friends, then you won't leave. Yeah. And it does seem a lot like cult activity and cult thinking. Like everybody has to think, have the same uh, opinion on everything or you get like kicked out of the cult. And it feels like like there's like a lot of ritual anger yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of outrage, performative virtues, like virtue signaling, Yeah, which I sometimes feel like I get involved in. Like I, I'm constantly <laughs> checking myself where I'm like, why did I just fave that tweet? Uh-huh. Or like, why did I retweet this? Like, I'm trying to let people know that like, I'm in favor of social justice or I'm this or uh-huh. I'm that. And it's like, Oh, not- it's like in Ann Arbor right now, maybe it's the same way here. Everybody, not everybody. A lot of people in my neighborhood have multiple signs in their yards that let you know that they're good people, that they support X, <laughs> Y, and Z. Like one sign is like, we believe in science or like this house supports women's rights. I don't know. They're just like all these signs. So then if you don't have the sign, it's like, oh, is that person not support <laughs> women's right? You know, it's just right. the like almost letting everybody in the neighborhood know that you're a good person. That seems like a slippery slope. So pretty soon you have like, like, you know, 75 signs in your yard. They do. Like a lot of people do have three or four signs. That's a lot. But anyway, it's just like what you're talking about, about letting people know that you're on the right side or. Which like, I mean, a little bit of that is fine, but I just, mm-hmm. I, I guess I get like annoyed with myself and then it's like, it just gives me like an icky feeling sometimes where I feel like I'm performing virtue or like I'm making, mm-hmm. cal- I'm making weird calculations about why I do things. Not that I am not in favor mm-hmm. of social justice. Like right. obviously I am, but like, right. it's just that like wanting people to see me mm-hmm. be in favor of it. Yeah. Is that, that what- that's what it is with the signs and the yards. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I also feel trapped inside of it. Like I feel like occupationally trapped. Like, you know, people come to this, uh, garage and sit down with me and talk and do this show. I do feel an obligation to like get the word out uh-huh. and people, um, you oh, know, we like work... through social media. Yeah. I mean, that's where people are. And then mm-hmm. I have, uh, you know, relationships with publishers. We're featuring books in the, in you the... could have an intern doing that. I guess I we, we have an intern doing Hobart Twitter, so we don't have to. Can be. I borrow your intern? <laughs> There's always people <laughs> more than willing to help out with that stuff. All right. Anybody listening who wants to be my intern? I'm sure you'll have a lot of people. You think? Yeah. Look know. at Mark Marin on his show had that intern. That was funny. He had an intern? Yeah. <laughs> like like in the studio? Well, I mean, on his fictional show. It would be funny if I had an intern who like came over for every interview and like sat yeah. in the room and we could occasionally like reference the intern like yeah. live. Or you, yeah, or you could have an imaginary intern. <laughs> People are just like, yeah, there's Jerry's over there. But, okay. Jerry, the intern is here with Elizabeth and I right now. <laughs> Taking notes. So uh, you've published two books this year? Is yeah, that, is that right? I've got three books coming out this year. So you're busy. Well, just everything happened to come out this year. But yeah, I guess I've been working on a few things over the last seven years. Okay. And they've all sort of come to fruition at the same time. Yeah. Do you have any trepidation about publishing close together? Do you give a shit about Do you think about any of that? Or you just I like, had some friends that were like, mm, I don't know if you should do that. 
And then I just said, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't really care. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I guess that's kind of (laughs) cool. I mean, I think there's pros and cons, but... I kind of like the idea. It's like volume. This is the year of Elizabeth Ellen. I'm publishing three books this year. (laughs) Well, I thought it was kind of funny to have a novel, a short story collection, and a poetry collection all the same year. Yeah. So, I mean... It's a trifecta. Yeah, you, you probably get less attention on each, but whatever. So a novel, a poetry collection, a short a story poetry. collection of the, did I get that right? I think so. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> she just nodded off. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but d- did you have a favorite in terms of like the actual process? Well, of- the one that I worked on the most, is definitely persona. Like that's the one that consumed me for six or seven years. And then I feel like Saul stories was at the same time as occasionally writing stories. And then somebody said, I think that you could just make a book out of these too. So I was like, oh, okay. Cause I wasn't really planning on that. And then the poetry collection, I just got really angry at some point, like a year ago and just wrote a bunch of angry poems. Angry so. about what? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> just, is it, is it like one central thing or is it like a, a litany of angers? It all stems from the essay I wrote in 2014 that I feel like I'm still getting uh, shade and and uh, from certain people for. What what was it? Did I read it? <laughs> Tell me if I read it. <laughs> um, it was the whole Talon oh, that I essay. Did read it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, but give give people a brief overview who are listening who might not. Oh boy. Have a frame of reference. <laughs> okay. Um. So in 2014, oh God, I didn't want to go into this, but okay. Um, a couple of people in the literary community overnight seemingly were accused of rape and, uh, just like kind of one right in the heat of the moment, I wrote an essay that I thought was just calling for rationality and like, whoa, let's just take a minute before we label people a serious crime, you know, like, and, and just kind of take a breath. Yeah. Take a breath. And like was asking for people, um, just to do that, to maybe think about it, have empathy and, um, for everybody involved and then go from there. And so then that essay, I think got, I think a lot of people didn't read it because there was a counter essay immediately, like two days later, And, um, so then basically it got boiled down to that. I was a rape apologist. And so I think a lot of people didn't never read, never read my essay or didn't read it fully. And so when they see my name now, they're just like, Oh, rape apologist or something. And that's the extent of it. (laughs) Is there a lot of that on the internet now? Like, do you find like, is that like searchable? Like when you search your name is like, Oh yeah. The first page of Google, there's, um, the press that, uh, kicked me out of their anthology after that. So they have like a statement against me. And that's like the fourth thing when you Google me. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to say what press it is. But anyway. Um, Why not? What press is it? Because I don't want to give them publicity. Oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, you can Google me and you'll see. So um, I feel like that had a really, obviously a really negative effect on my quote unquote career. But um, it's very, it's very dicey terrain. And like, whenever I talk about anything in that realm, I mean, it's not just that realm, but like Uh in that kind of emotional realm Mm -hmm. on this show, like I can feel my throat close up a little bit. Like I get a little tight. I'm like, Oh fuck. Don't say, don't say the wrong thing. I know. I'm getting very emotional now because it's like, I've gone through 
a lot of shit in the last three years for it that I'm still like a lot of people still ignore me or pretend I don't exist. I think that like you've been shunned that used to champion my writing. And now all of a sudden it's like, or not all of a sudden for three years, the people that used to champion my writing haven't mentioned me at all. So I can only conclude that it's because of the essay. And then like, then I don't know. And then you have people like, no, that's, it's just coincidental. So then I feel like I'm, getting gaslighted also at the same time what is gas why, why am i an idiot i don't even know what gaslighting, gaslighting means. so like if if um if i said to you like oh i think it's because of my essay that so-and-so won't uh review my book on goodreads or won't mention my book and you're like no like that's just, you're just being crazy that's just um it's just coincidence they're just busy they just haven't read your book or you know they have other things but so like it you you would be not intentionally probably gaslighting me, but instead of saying like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they are, um, purposely ignoring you. But usually gaslighting is like what a, a traditionally, like what a guy does to you to make you feel like you're the crazy person. Like if you, if, if you were cheating on me and I was like, I think you're cheating on me, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, no, you're crazy. Like I didn't do X, Y, That's or Z. Gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. But it can be. What's another. the origin of that term? You gaslight. Well, there somebody. was a movie gaslight okay. in the forties that I think had something to do with that. Oh, okay. I feel like I know nothing sometimes because I, like I, <laughs> I read that term and I nod and I go like gaslighting. It's terrible. And I have no idea what the fuck it even means. You've probably been gaslighting people for years. I, I've retweeted about how bad gaslighting is. I've performed <laughs> virtue, you know, virtuous acts online. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny cause I had, a, I've had conversations about issues like this. I mean, I had, I had uh, Talon and Mira on the show, right. like uh -huh. I want in the aftermath of that. Mm -hmm. And we talked about it at length, you know, trying to kind of get uh, Tao's feelings on it, Mira's feelings on it. Mm -hmm. Like, and it was kind of nice to have him and then also have a, uh, a woman in the room and like to have some right. sort of balanced perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but like more recently on this show, I had Vanessa Gregoriadis on the program and uh, she wrote this book sitting right here. It's called uh, Blurred Lines, which was a Nervous Breakdown book club pick, which is all about campus rape. And the, uh, I've read a little bit about the book. It sounds really interesting. Yeah. And it's about like uh, the meaning of consent and uh -huh. like the, you know, the um, changing dynamics right. of, um, you know, all of that stuff. Right. I think that was part of the problem with my essay is that I was, since I'm not on social media much, I didn't know that words had changed meanings and I was not familiar with a lot. So I think that got me in trouble in that I wasn't aware of how much, what the word rape means had changed. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? From I, like, when, right. I mean, you have, I mean, to, you have to keep up. I mean, a lot yeah. of things are shifting pretty rapidly and in many cases for the better. Right. But I think that and, you know, Vanessa and I didn't actually, I don't think, talk about this, but it's in her book, um, which is that when someone levies an accusation of sexual assault or rape, mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority of the time, they're not lying. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they are. Right. Sometimes it's not I mean, not there's true. never an absolute on anything. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, but like, you know, I, the thing is, is like, I do believe in believing the victim. If somebody tells you, like, I was assaulted. Mm -hmm. You know, like your first response should be like, oh my God, you were assaulted. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Like, you know, you should, you shouldn't like immediately be like, well, well and especially if it's somebody, you know, you're going to probably 
think they're telling you the yeah. truth. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, just generally, like, as a rule, like, believe somebody when they tell you that they've been assaulted. But, like, um, I, I think that wanting to weigh the evidence, mm-hmm. especially for people you don't know, like, if mm-hmm. it's a situation where someone says you're assaulted, like, then say, okay. And then right. say, well, where's the evidence? Like, okay, let's make sure that this is the truth. Because if it's not true, mm-hmm. then the victim truly is the guy right. who's being falsely accused. Well, and if it's people we don't know personally, too, that's a whole other situation, too, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, so anyway, it's like, it's a, it's a much smaller percentage of the time, but that sort of stuff does happen is my only point. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I, I guess... An extension of that point is to say that, like, man, accusing somebody of rape mm-hmm. and having it not be true, that, that can really ruin a person's life. Right. And I guess the argument, of course, is that, well, rape ruins your life. Of course. But, of yeah, course. But, the, I mean, but they're, yeah, they're both really bad. They're both really bad, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, um, I had that conversation or I was like, that was on my brain, at least, because I was reading her book. And then I've had other conversations with guests on this show um, over the years and recently about social media and about like how heated it gets. And I feel like there is more anger and more intensity of emotion in the age of Trump, or maybe I'm projecting mm-hmm. people are more highly strung. Yes. You know, everyone's a little bit on edge. Everyone's sort of, you know, you're every day is like a house of horrors. If you're paying attention on social media mm-hmm. and there's endless reasons for anxiety and infighting constantly within every community, including the literary community. It does seem like people are so, because there was stuff to get outraged about, now it's like, well, where's the next outrage? Where's the next person we're going to find that did X, Y, or Z, or is a bad person? Or Well, I was, there was like, you know, there was a take on the internet. I, and I can never even remember where I read these takes. Was it on Twitter or did I click through to something? But somebody said, basically, the point that they were trying to make is that um, at least to some degree, the backlash and the concentration of force against Harvey Weinstein is sublimated rage against Trump. Hmm. Like the way in Hollywood, like the, you know, like around here, people mm-hmm. have turned and have, you know, put him in their crosshairs and, and right. rightfully so. Right. But there's an element of that that is Trump rage. That makes some sense to me because okay. he's a, he's he's every bit the abuser that Harvey Weinstein is. He's of the same ilk. Well, we just had this discussion on the train with the women I met, and um, they said because they were talking about Weins, Harvey Weinstein, and then someone said, "Well, look at our president," and I said, "Also look at his running mate's husband," because you can't look at Trump without looking at Bill Clinton. And That's, so, okay. I'm so glad you said this. I'm so glad but it you doesn't s- often get mentioned. No. And it, this bothers me, uh, you know, not that Hillary should be held responsible for the transgressions of her husband. Right. You know, she didn't uh, assault women. He did assault women. Right. In his, I mean, especially in his governorship in Arkansas. Like if you read about those stories, yeah, like multiple a, things plus Monica, there's a lot of bad behavior. Uh-huh. That's very much in that same ballpark. Mm-hmm. And, People don't talk about it on the left and people, there's like a, yeah. When I mentioned that the table got really quiet and then the subject got dropped. It was like, Oh, like, why would you bring that up? Or, or, you know, like we don't, 
like to think of, I think because it happened quite a while ago and we're, we as a society, it's like, well, that was 20 years ago and he hasn't done it. You know what I mean? Like Bill, now we're, he's just a nice older guy or something, but we think, but he was on like Jeffrey Epstein's airplane. Yeah. We know from the flight logs, like yeah. nothing good was going on on Jeffrey Epstein's airplane. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely paid off women and I'm not sure what he's been convicted of. I some well, kind. no, he like, I mean, like Paula Jones, I want to say they settled. Right. There was definitely settlement. There's settlements where it's like, I'm the part of the settlement is like, I agree to like, rena- you know, rescind my accusation. You know what I'm saying? Right, it's like basically right. buying people off. But, you know, the point is just that, like, I think that it's intellectually dishonest to not consider him in the conversation about this stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the other thing too, and like, I've, cause I've tried to like wrap my head around this post, you know, post-mortem or post-election um in addition to like russian intrusion and possible hacking of you know voter Mm -hmm. rolls and all that stuff like i i don't draw the line anywhere like i think something really twisted happened and i don't think we understand the full scope of it yet so um i think there's a a pretty decent likelihood that like hillary clinton should be the president right now Mm-hmm. And that the thing was was gamed, and like the result was, Ill, you know, illegitimate. Okay. I think that's at least possible. <laughs> you don't think sure so? it's possible? I mean, all every conspiracy is always that's they're always possible. Yeah, but it's more than a conspiracy. Like I feel like there's enough evidence mounting about the propaganda efforts and about voter suppression in states like mm-hmm. Wisconsin, and there's like very disturbing. Um, you know, stuff coming out. Why North didn't that Co- stuff happen when Obama got elected twice? Why, why couldn't they do the same stuff that, why did they let him get elected if it's so easy to suppress votes? And- well, I mean, I, I don't know. When did Scott Walker become governor of Wisconsin? Oh, you know, know, like things have to shift in yeah. terms of like who has the, the levers of power, North Carolina, states like Georgia that are traditionally mm-hmm. pretty red, but like North Carolina, you know, voted for Obama in 2008, almost voted for him in 2012. Well, I remember before the election, I was an early Hillary supporter, and I remember being afraid to put a Hillary sign in Ann Arbor on my car because everybody was Bernie. And even when she became the candidate, it seemed like whenever I went around where there were Democrats, they were not happy about voting for her. It was like, well, I'll vote for her, but I'm really don't want to or there you know there wasn't the like yay it's hillary type and i think that maybe played into also why yeah what happened happened because i feel like the on the other side a lot of people were like really pro trump and on our side it wasn't like yay hillary it was why do you think that is well i think (laughs) the number one thing is because she's a woman i mean i really i'm not the type to be like oh it's misogyny but i really think we can't take a that strong of a woman like as president. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely she's unlikable, you know, Well, the standard that she was held to in the press and just among voters like it. Mm-hmm. I saw just so many, I was being cafes and overhearing women saying like, can I vote for everything except president? You know, I heard that multiple times and just, I don't know. I was just surprised by how, much dislike there was for her amongst Democrats. 53% of white women voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that people need to reckon with. Like what in the hell? That I feel like is maybe a pro-life movement, but 53%. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and it's like, uh, 
I mean, I have theories. Like part of it, I think, is like, you know, the media treatment. I feel like, you know, she's been in the ring for so long. She's been mm -hmm. part of like... I mean, women know. hate women, too. That's, I mean, that's... Or don't like them. But, you know, like Fox News has been bashing Hillary Clinton and the Clintons generally mm -hmm. on the national airwaves. And then talk radio. Like all of the right-wing media has had the Clintons in their crosshairs for, you know, however, 20 something years before she ran for president. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of accrual right. <laughs> of negative press coverage. She also has, you know, had all this time to uh, build up a record, you know, and in politics, things get messy. Mm -hmm. You make weird deals and compromises and mistakes and yeah. it's all there. So like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lots to criticize. You right. know, there's lots to criticize. Right. Um, and I think part of that is a function of character and decision-making. And part of it is just a function of being in the ring. Mm -hmm. you know, and just the nature of it. But, uh, there's that. And then the other thing is that like, I think that there, and this is where things get dicey to talk about, but when it comes to, you know, like Bill's behavior, Hillary's, um, decision to sort of like, cause she was sort of the star at the beginning of their relationship. She was the one who had like all of this, potential and all of the success as a young person and giving that speech at Wellesley and like working on the Capitol on Capitol Hill. Like uh -huh. she was the one who was really doing well. And mm -hmm. then she basically put all that to the side and went to Arkansas to kind of support Bill's political dream. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, was a loyal partner to him through all of it. Right. And I mean, all of it. Right. Including like, and do you think even way back then they were like, but at some point you're going to get a chance. Do you think that they were even aware? Like maybe when, maybe once she was, once he was president, I mean, mm -hmm. clearly like at some point in their, in his presidency, especially when, um, I think it was Moynihan died and left his seat open in New York. I mean, mm -hmm. they had to have been talking about it prior to then, you know, whether, right. so yeah, I mean, they're, they're such political people like they, mm -hmm. she had a plan or at least some sort of aspiration. But the point that I'm driving at, I guess, is that like, there seems to be at least some credence to the theory that because of that decision, like to sort of like hitch her start of his wagon instead of just like go out and do it, oh, uh -huh. you know, at least in the first part of her adult life. Mm -hmm. And then also to stand by him when he was doing all this stuff to mm -hmm. women, that isn't that um, admirable to say the least. Right. And then like the Monica Lewinsky thing. That's why I read that a lot of young, I don't know if it's true, but I read that a lot of young females were not as inclined to vote for her because of the, I, I think I might've read the same thing. Yeah. And I, and I don't like, know if that's true, but I felt like there was some, at least some truth to it. I didn't feel like it was definitive, but I was like, okay, that makes mm -hmm. like that, that theory of the case makes some sense to me. Not that she doesn't have admirable things about her. I mm -hmm. mean, I voted for her happily. I wish yeah. she was the president right uh, now. I mean, I was, and having a daughter, my daughter, it was her first time voting for president. Uh. I mean, it still like crushes me to think cause she, you know, made a post like tonight's a great night to break the glass ceiling. And like, we right. were just so sure that Hillary was going to win. And my daughter's like, wear white, you know, and I don't know. It's just like so heartbreaking to think that she didn't win for a million reasons, but the most glaring one, because just, just that she's a woman. And that's right. So anyway, it's all so fucked up, but hopefully someday I'll be I don't know who it's going to be. I want to, <laughs> I want to know. I just need to press fast forward. Let's just get to it. 
Um, so, okay, anything else happened on the train that I need to know about? I mean, you spent a, a good amount of time on there. Like, any other experiences that we need to mine? Um, no, it was just a lot of sleeping and dinners with older women and... I don't know. I can't really think of... Dinners with older women? <laughs> well, because on the train, they do community seating. So if there's two or less of you, they seat you with strangers. And so it was me and two other older women. Like they actually physically seat you? Though? Yeah. Like you sit in this slot? Yeah, that you you don't have a choice. Oh, my God. And, uh, it's a kindergarten. <laughs> so I met two nights in a row. I ate dinner with these two women that... I guess they take the train a lot. They're... Um, scared of flying. Oh, something, this is really kind of morbid, but something interesting was, uh, so they take the train a lot and the one lady had taken the train five times and two times the train had had to stop because of a suicide. And the other lady had also had a train stop because of a suicide. Isn't that outrageous? What does that even mean? Like somebody doing what? Like jumping off the train? No, not people on the train. Like somebody, oh, just a random person walking out on the train. Yeah, but I didn't know it was that common. That's so that's a, also, that's a grisly way to do it. I know. I was like, thank God it didn't happen on my train. Like that's just so depressing. Yeah. I mean, I guess I mean, they're I like, guess yeah, it's like a three hour wait. You have to well, like, like file the papers. Yeah. Clear everything, file papers. <sighs> yeah. So. I mean, I guess like it would be now I'm thinking about it. Like, I guess it would just like knock, I guess they lay down on the tracks. That's mm-hmm. the thing. They, I, I guess they say there's a person under the train is how they describe it. Like it's going to be a delay because there's a, a body under the train or something like that. Oh my God. But that didn't happen. <laughs> no. Where did you, where did your train stop? Like, did you get to get off and like stretch your legs and like, uh, yeah. Out, oh, like, in uh, Albuquerque, we were supposed to have a 45 minute stop and they were like make sure you know you don't wander too far because we'll leave you and one of the ladies i had dinner with did get left one time so i was like oh my god blow us and then of course i got back and the train had a malfunction so we were in albuquerque for three hours no way but did um, you get to did you get to like go into albuquerque you just stay at the station just at the station and and uh like there was some people with jewelry you could buy outside and stuff like that did you buy any yeah, I bought this bracelet that I thought that's why as soon as it's supposed to be good luck. And as soon as I put it on is when we had the train malfunction. But, <laughs> but then I left it on anyway. Let me because, see it. What is it made of? Is it? Um, so it's supposed to be some kind of wood beads that are supposed to like be good luck and take away your bad dreams or something. Oh. So we'll see. I believe any of that. <laughs> Thanks for bringing me one. Appreciate it. Well, it's $15. So. Oh, it was. Okay. <laughs> wooden beads but um yeah other than that there would just be like when they had the smoke breaks you could get out some so the people get out and smoke and other people get out and walk really fast up and down the train and that's what i did you did some walking yeah because otherwise you're just stuck on that train not moving at all yeah you got to get out so did you uh were there parts of the country like what was the route you came down through chicago i'm Mm -hmm. picturing yeah and then from chicago to what denver we did go through Colorado, but not Denver. It was somewhere southern Colorado, and then New Mexico, Arizona. What What was the most beautiful part? I guess you had like the stuff. That well, you New saw. Mexico was during the day, and that was really beautiful. Yeah, that was probably the most beautiful. And then and you have like a big window in your yeah. little pod. Yeah, and then you can also go to that car that's like all window. Do you get any uh, motion sickness? No, like, nothing. nothing like I, that. I was kind of wondering about that because I do have a tendency to be a hypochondriac about motion sickness, but actually it just makes you really sleepy on the train. Okay. Did you feel, uh, you feel like you'd do this again? 
Yeah, I'd like to do it again. It like it went so fast and uh I don't like to fly, so like maybe I would do it again. You keep in touch you think you're going to keep in touch with any of these people? <laughs> no, like I didn't get their names or anything. Although mm-hmm. the one lady did ask me like that <laughs> it came out that I was doing a reading in LA and she lives somewhere near there and she asked me where it was and it seemed like she was like maybe going to come, but I doubt it. I was going to say that's one of those things that's, like yeah. on the train it's like this yeah. is happening yeah. and then like you get off the train and you're like yeah. who the fuck was that? Like I don't yeah. think we're ever going to see each other again. So if I know her name's Hope. If I see Hope at the reading, I'll give her a shout out. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. You know, but I say that and like, I do like, I do like it when people who are like, oh, I'll come. And then like, yeah. they really do follow through and they show up. Yeah. Sometimes. I aspire to be like that person. Yeah. So, uh, what's going to happen here? You're going to do your reading. You're going to visit with friends. How mm-hmm. many days are you here? Uh, four days. So Monday morning I'm leaving. And then you get in your rental car and you drive all the way back across the country. Yeah. Would you have like a route planned out? Well, I have a grandma that lives in Dallas, Texas. So I was thinking of trying to go that direction and trying to see her. I haven't said anything in case I don't, but. She listens to this show. <laughs> yeah. She listens to, to Brad Listy. She emails me all the time. <laughs> so I'd like to see my grandma. She's 94. Wow. <laughs> and I haven't seen her in a year or two. So if I can do that and then head north from there. Okay. That's a good, that's a lot of driving. Yeah. Do you have some books on tape or podcasts? No. I guess? Um, I don't really have anything. No. <laughs> I like to listen to the local radio and flip around and I'll like, I don't know. Some, I listen to the weirdest stuff. Sometimes I like listening to the religious people just cause I never listen to that. And it's interesting to me to hear like the, the religious talk radio Yeah. or I don't know, local sports or whatever it is. The real America. <laughs> the real America, like You're Steinbeck. Can you drive through the real I'm going to be the new Steinbeck <laughs> and the grunge movement also. Uh, is anyone going to join you? Are you going to do it solo? No, just me. That's the bucket list is you have to do it solo. You want to yeah, just reflect. Yeah. Uh, are you working on another book? Um. Yeah, I've got a few you're like, I've got books. seven books. <laughs> I'm working on. I'm working but... on seven books. They'll all be published next month. <laughs> um, yeah, I've got a few, a couple things in the works. What are they? We never talk about what you're working on. Okay. Well, let's talk about Persona. Okay. okay yeah. Let's talk about Because that. that's like a book about like just a guy and like an obsession <laughs> with a guy. If I'm remembering, yeah, it could be misremembering because yeah. I have such a bad memory. It was a like... girl. No, it was a guy. Okay. So, uh, like, are you, do you feel like you work something out in that book? Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that addiction's gone. <laughs> <laughs> you got rid of that one. Only seven took years. Me 600 pages. Yeah. Like six, seven years later. Yeah. But publishing that did somehow help me Well, working on it all that time and then publishing it. I feel like I've quote unquote, close the book on that chapter. Yeah. So that's good. Sometimes yeah. I mean, because like, you know, people think people can sort of eye roll when you talk about writing being cathartic. Yeah. But it really is though. Yeah. Sometimes you externalize it, you wrap it up in a book or, in, yeah. you know, you bind it up and it's like, okay, I'm done with that. Yeah. It wasn't quite that neat, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it does seem some in, in that alignment. Yeah. All right. So like, and like, that's fascinating to me, the way people get addicted to people. Mm. right mm-hmm. you get addicted to people and treatment or like the way you interact with different people is obviously different so i think that you're drawn to a certain way you're interacting what do you mean like an unhealthy way <laughs> um just like you know how you have like <laughs> 
quote unquote normal relationships that are mostly positive. And then you have relationships or friendships or whatever that are more dramatic and more. There are people who know how to push yeah. your buttons. Okay. Yeah. No, if, you want just... to be, if you want to be cynical, then yeah. <laughs> but I mean, but no, but I mean, I don't, I, I mean that in the, in the, in uh, a general, or, uh, in a general way. Yeah. There are certain people in our lives mm-hmm. where like you meet them and they set something off in you mm-hmm. and they seem to like know how to get you to react, yeah. like how to, it is kind of like a drug or like an addiction in a way I would say, but it's also, I, I with people like that, it's not even necessarily, it doesn't even necessarily have to be somebody you're attracted to. It could be somebody who confuses you or mm-hmm. who like their like, behavior confuses you or how they react to you or don't react to you. Or I feel like oh, this person like, doesn't really like, like for me, a lot of times, like I want people to like me. Uh, that's what I've heard. Yeah. <laughs> Not for over 500 episodes. I'm just uh-huh. desperately trying to get people to like me, but it's like, I, uh, I will want like to me, it'll be like, okay, I'm going to find a way to win this person to my side or mm. like to, to win their trust or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I can be pretty dogged about that, but I don't always succeed. Yeah. I feel like that's, yeah, I definitely relate to that. And you have to let that go. You can't make somebody trust you. Yeah. And then it just starts to feel like it's so if somebody's to... not trusting. It's more on them, I think, than on you. Yeah. And that, that like needy feeling in any context, whether it's mm-hmm. like a romantic context or it's like, a, I want this person to be my friend mm-hmm. or I just want this person's approval. That's like an icky feeling. Yeah. But we all, we all go through that, I guess. Yeah. I think for me, it was a lot about, uh, distraction from other things in my life that just like drug use or whatever is a distraction from dealing with harder truths, maybe. Yeah. So, so you are you doing a lot of drugs these days. <laughs> I don't do drugs. That's why I <laughs> get obsessed with people. That's it. You don't do yeah. any, I mean, you do like drink a little bit. Oh, I drink yeah. occasionally, but I, I haven't even been drunk in 25 years probably. Really? Yeah. You're a disciplined person. See, this is something. I don't know if it's disciplined or like fear of letting go of control. Well, either way, it's, you know, but I don't know. I think that, I guess maybe it shouldn't be that surprising to me, but like, it's sort of like, I feel like Elizabeth Allen is like sneaky, super disciplined, working really hard Mm -hmm. up in Michigan. (laughs) Hopefully that's what I'm aiming for. Like, what do you want to do? Do you have like an image or like a plan or like a, you know, a picture in your mind of like, like what kind of career you want or like. As far as writing? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have like six or seven books on a list that I want to get done in the next 20 years or something. You already have them written. Like, you know what they are. Yeah. So I just have to, yeah, be disciplined enough to get them done. Like start like novels, like start to finish, you know what they're about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Memoir, novel, another novel, another novel. <laughs> and, you yeah. won't, and you won't talk about any of the contents of those things? No, I don't think you're supposed to. Well, I can talk about the one. The one that I'm, I've am i already written a first draft is a um, memoir of the year I was at boarding school. I already had a long story about it, so I just have been turning that into like a full-length book. What boarding school? Oh, it was a really shitty boarding school in Florida, like near Orlando. It wasn't even one of the good ones. No, that's the <laughs> funny thing. It was like really crappy, but... Um, damn. Okay. Well, that sounds good. I love boarding school stuff, like books yeah. about like yeah, wayward boarding school children. Yeah. There's That's... a lot of wayward kids at the boarding school. Okay. Cause you don't go to a crappy boarding school in Florida 
because you're like doing well. Because things are going, <laughs> things are going your yeah. way. Either something's going horrible in your parents' life or your life or both. Um, how do you map out, how do you have all these books figured out in your head? You just think about them. I guess so. That's what, like when people talk about, um, what do you call it when you can't write? Writer's block. Yeah. I never have writer's block. I like have too many ideas. How much like, okay. So what does your working process look like when you're, um, like on a, you know, into a project, like how many hours a day are you doing this? Cause I know I've heard like we've text messaged before or like, you've been like, Oh, I'm going to go live in a motel for two weeks. Yeah. Like, give my phone away. And like, <laughs> that was you, during the later years of persona. Yeah. But I mean, like you do these things. Like, I mean, it's like you already have just like a smartphone yeah. from 19 or a phone Not, from like 1999. Yeah. yeah slide phone. Yeah. And like, you, and then you're, you're like locked, you're putting that away. Like yeah. you, you're cutting yourself off. Like these are like, this is like true austerity. Well, I also just think when you read about the more, the younger generations coming up to get off topic about social media and being on their phones all the time and the anxiety and, um, the increased suicide, like, it's just not healthy for you to be on these devices and on social media. It's like so bad for you. You tell your daughter this? Yeah. Luckily she's not, I don't think she's that tied to social media at all. She's that's rare in her generation. Yeah. I mean, she definitely has Instagram and uses it, but she's not, it's not um, the main part of her. See, cause you set yeah. a good example. Well, I don't know. It might be coincidental in that case. She's just like, she's super busy and doing stuff in real life all the time. So I feel like she's not as tied to her social media life. Yeah. So but, what's it? Yeah. What's it like? You have a grown child. Yeah. She's graduating from college this year. I guess you've been empty nest for like, you know, what, four years. Yeah. That was a, that was another hard process. <laughs> yeah, I can't even, yeah, I don't even, I mean, I, I have a ways to go, but I think about it sometimes and I'm like, that's oh. why I keep telling like my friends that are having babies. I'm like, having a baby was nothing compared to my daughter going away to college. Like that, as far as, you know, how you go through the process, at least for me, like having her was super easy, but letting go is the really hard part. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. <laughs> so life's life enjoy it now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also great having an adult child because we're like best friends and i don't know there's definitely good yeah, to I've that too. I've, I've seen you guys yeah. you guys are great together yeah she's awesome so um and now you have like i mean now what are you doing you're writing you taking trains across the country <laughs> you got like more time you got more time to yourself right yeah yeah that was that was like four years ago that was the problem was when she left and i think i was in the middle of persona and that was probably the hardest time. And in that essay, the scandal with that, like everything hit at once and it was probably the hardest part of my life. But and then you wrote a poetry collection. Yeah. That's when you turned to poetry. <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote a really crappy poetry collection. What's it, what's it called? Elizabeth Ellen. That's what it's called. <laughs> yeah. The poetry collection is called Elizabeth. I purposely Ellen. didn't send it to you before we did the podcast. Cause I don't want you to know my angry side before we do. The... Do you have, do you have like a lot of anger? Well, now I feel like I kind of worked through that in that book, how I worked through the other, you know, in persona. Well, cause you're soft, but you're very soft spoken. Yeah. Little nervous. Yeah. You know, cause I remember the first time I ever met you was for this show. Yeah. And it was like, you know, noon on like a Tuesday yeah. and you're like, do you have any scotch? Yeah. I used <laughs> to be super, super shy. I feel like now I'm more outgoing, but still somewhat. Yeah. Um, but you know, like we, but shy people can be angry too. I know. But like, how does it manifest for you? <laughs> what like, do you mean? Cause you don't, you don't, you're not a yeller. No, it's a lot of crying, but 
anger crying and complaining to my daughter and husband okay <laughs> and my daughter being like okay yeah i get it you have reason to be angry but now snap out of it yeah yeah <laughs> so, so kids are good for that they are it's it's tough like uh I feel like it's like anger sort of, sort of blind and there's like a blindness to it. I feel like you don't re like when you react out of anger, whether you're saying something or doing something, it feels like there's like limited vision. Mm -hmm. That's what it feels like to me. And also one time I had a really crappy therapist and he said that at your crappy boarding school or no, <laughs> no later, <laughs> but he said that all anger is really just sadness because underneath the anger is sadness. Yeah. Or like a cynic is a disappointed idealist, like that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I think that's pretty true because when, why are you so angry? Because you feel hurt or whatever. Yeah. I get angry about the stupidest shit. Do you want to know something that like provokes? <laughs> I've, I've tweeted about this before and it got like an unusual, unusually like, uh, enthusiastic response, or at least like, you know, in the context of that time for me yeah. on Twitter. Uh -huh. But I was like one, one of these things that like creates a knee jerk, like flash of rage in me every time. And I'll say something. I'll be like, motherfucker. Like, I'll just like, I will uh, snap like quickly. Like uh -huh. it goes away quickly, but it's like a white hot flash of anger. But what is it? Is when like I have earbuds in uh -huh. and like I'm doing something and like I'll, I'll be at the gym or like whatever it is. And like the cord to my earbuds will get caught oh. on something and I'll be in like the middle of listening to mm -hmm. something. And they'll get yanked out of my ears. Yeah. That makes me really angry. I've had that happen too. And I'm getting ready to walk with my earbuds. Or like, yeah, you're leaving the house. You're in a hurry. You have yeah. your earbuds in. You're like looking for your keys. You get your keys. You turn and like it gets I caught. I don't usually curse, but. You don't. But yeah, I could see why maybe it would get you that. You don't, you don't curse? <laughs> yeah, but not about my earbuds. <laughs> okay. If anyone out there shares this <laughs> same tendency, please email me to make me feel better about myself. Well, you have to get angry about something. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I do, I have like, I mean, I'm not like super, super angry. I'm working on it, but, um, I think like I, another thing I really don't like is I really don't like to be rushed in the morning. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't like to be rushed ever. Yeah. I have a really hard time with transitions. You do. Yeah. I like to ease into the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once I get going, I'm okay. But like, I just don't want to get up and feel like, oh shit. You know, like I got to go. Yeah. It's no way to live. Yeah. I don't like... <laughs> Every time I have to transition from one thing to another, it's really hard. I don't know. So what do you mean you have a tough time with transitions? Like just like time transitions? Just everything. Like if I'm writing and then I have to get ready to go like meet somebody. I don't know. It just takes me a lot longer than the average person or I don't know. I just... You were, you were here relatively on time. Like yeah. <laughs> well, this is important. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just get stuck in whatever I'm doing and then it's hard to get out of it. Are you a night owl or day yeah. you yeah. are? Mm -hmm. How late, how late are you up every night? Oh, I try not to be up too late, but I, I don't know, like two, three. Do you write at night? I do. I write, I like to write first thing in the morning and then sometimes at night too, before I go to bed. How much? Like, okay. So let's go through your ritual. Like mm. how many days a week do you work? I try to work seven if I'm able, like, right. Well, I guess I have been writing on the train, but I would say normally if I'm traveling, I don't, but, but yeah, usually if I'm home seven days a week, seven days a week, yeah. How many hours in the morning? Anywhere from two to four, maybe. 
Okay, that sounds about, that sounds about right. Even at night, if I can get another hour or something, I figure that's good. Do you live out in the woods? <laughs> no, we live we live on a dirt road, but it's really close to, it's in town. It just happens to be a dirt road. Okay. But everything in Ann Arbor is like six miles away, so you could ride your bike anywhere in Ann Arbor. It's a good town. Yeah, I like it a lot. You like it? You're, you're going to be there for the duration? Yeah, it looks like we might be there for the duration. I thought we were going to move, but now it looks like we might stay. Where did so. you think you were going to move to? Anywhere else. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> just throw a dart. Just yeah. get on a train and find yourself in Albuquerque. And... Yeah, anywhere else. But now, aside from the weather, I like Ann Arbor, so looks like we might be there a while. You can get away in the You can be a snowbird. You know yeah. what they call those people? Yeah, a snowbird. Isn't that, isn't <laughs> they that... call it old people. Isn't that right? The <laughs> like you go who... to Florida in the winter. Yeah, go to yeah. Arizona. Yeah. My grandparents always did that. Went to Florida in the winter. That's not so bad. I mean, Florida kind of freaks me out, but I, I don't. I know people in Florida who listen who get on my case when I say that. But oh, Florida! Yeah, it's a little strange. But in, I had family in Florida, so I went there every summer. So it's not as weird to me. But I used to go there when I was in high school for uh, like spring break. Like we'd vacation in Florida, you know, mm-hmm. like as a family, and it was great. I mean, I, I loved it, especially. You know, those Midwestern winters, you get to like spring and yeah. you just want to like have some sun on your face. So can I just ask you why you have Tama Janowitz? Are you having her into your studio? Tama Janowitz? Yeah. You know, like of the, what was that click called? Like with Brad Easton Ellis, the Brat Pack? Yeah. Do you remember her? Yeah. She was like the Brady Ellis, Jay McInerney. Yeah. It was those three. Yeah. And now you have a book by Tama Janowitz. I've never heard it of. It was sent to me. I'd uh, love to have Tama Janowitz on the show, but like she'd have to come here. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm very much prefer to have people here. She's an empty nester too. So maybe now she has time to travel. Maybe she does. Maybe she's on a train right now. <laughs> crisscrossing America. Yeah. She had that crazy hair and makeup. Did you read any books by her? Didn't she have what Slaves of New York or something I, like I that? I haven't read her. I have to read Tama Janowitz. I don't know. I've got a lot of. I mean, I get a lot of books sent. I'm trying to look up here. Like this, this column right here. I went through a phase where I thought I was going to write this book about like the melding of, uh, like the psychedelic experience with quantum science. <laughs> oh my god! And uh, Buddhism. But then, like, I started to research, and there are like there are a lot of other books about that very thing. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't. I don't need another one. Yeah, no one needs no one needs Brad Lister to weigh in. <laughs> but I find that's the case a lot of times. Like, I I don't think I've ever really had an idea for a book that I didn't feel like had a precedent. You mean like someone's already done it? Yeah. Like I've never had an idea where like this is this is the world needs this now. Hmm. I guess everything's been written. In I some... feel like the opposite. I'm always like. Why isn't everybody reading Persona? I feel like everybody needs to read it and it should be taught. You know, like I have, I have the Kanye West <laughs> problem. You? Yeah. You're like, I should be taught in universities. Yeah. One time we went and saw, do you know who Kate Braverman is? Rings a bell. So remember when, um, Ben Marcus had the anchor book of short stories and Kate Braverman had a story in there that no one ever remembers. But anyway, we went and saw her like 10 years ago, do a reading and she was like, who hears from the university? And she's like, my book should be taught in all your classes. And like, she was just, she was really something. That was like the best reading I've ever been to. Cause she was just telling us how great she was and why she wasn't Cause right, yeah, writers are usually like meek and self-effacing. Yeah. And, and like, her husband was in the back and he was like, what do you call it when somebody like, like the hype man, he was 
yeah, he was like clapping and woohooing like while she read. And was it a performance? I mean, was she? Was it like a shtick? No, she, I don't think so. I think it? she was really believed. There was some. I can't remember the conspiracy why they weren't promoting her in universities, but that was part of it. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm still reading this Muhammad Ali biography. I've talked about it on this show like for like the last four months. Like I'm just picking my way through it. Uh-huh. But um, like his ability to self-promote. I mean, I know mm-hmm. boxers, yeah. always, they always have to do that sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. like the, the, to be able to muster that energy and to mm-hmm. be able to like and to be good at it. Right. And like to be funny and to like come up with those rhymes and like to, you know, to constantly yeah. be able to do that. Uh, I don't have that (laughs) in case you were wondering. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's hard for me. Like I don't have a sense of my writing or anything that I do where I'm like, the world really needs to know about Brad Listy. I wonder why it is. I wonder why like some of us have that. I wonder how many people secretly have it, but pretend they don't. And how many people don't have it? Like how many people do you think, think their book is like, the shit. Yeah. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like if you ask me, I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed when people are like, I think my book is fucking great. <laughs> like if you asked me about my novel on a lie detector, I'd be yeah. like, I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty average. <laughs> like, I don't think there's anything like really distinguishing about it. Uh, I don't think it'll ever <laughs> be read. But then why do you, what would make you day in day out work on something that you don't put so much belief behind. I mean, I know. Well, that's the thing. Like, it was good for me when, I mean, when I, I'm so glad I wrote it. I, you know, like you talked about earlier, like putting to bed, like an obsession yeah. or, you know, working something out. Like, that's mm-hmm. always been, I think, sort of why I have written. Like, when I've been able to get through the process of writing a book or a manuscript, mm-hmm. it's always been dealing with some big problem in my life or mm-hmm. some big thing that was a confusion. Yeah. But I don't have like this impulse, like I need to tell stories about like a king in a castle. And like, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have yeah. any, like, Im- I don't have like this rich, like Im- imaginative world, like some writers do. Yeah. Um, it's always been like this sort of like inward exploration kind of thing. And, uh, I don't know, like low, I mean, it's not, I don't have like terribly low self-esteem, but it's like hard to get like super hyped about myself. <laughs> like I live with myself. <laughs> I know what's going on here. It's nothing, it's nothing to write home about. I mean, it's like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't have that. Do you, do you feel like you have that though? You want people to know Elizabeth? I Ellen? feel like me and then now I'm thinking of my close friend group. Cause I feel like I don't want to talk for him, but don't you feel like Scott McClanahan feels like that? I feel like he feels that. And I don't know about Chelsea, like Chelsea Martin, if she would say that, but I feel like she might, you know, maybe we're just an odd group of people. No, I mean, maybe you have to have that. Yeah. I'm going to ask them after this and see what they say. Let's get them on the phone. (laughs) I know Scott does. Have Jerry, the intern, call them right now. (laughs) No, I mean, but you know, Scott to me, um, like to me, he's like the real deal. He's like, guys read everything. Yeah. Everything. Every once in a while, I'll mention a book or a movie he hasn't read yeah. or seen. And I'm He's like, yes, I, I got something that he didn't, he hasn't read or seen yet. Yeah. Like those kinds of people, like there's like, Scott's one of them. Um, ben Laurie is like, it's like a mm-hmm. mega reader. Uh, Roxane Gay has read every, you know, she reads like mm-hmm. 10 books a week or, you know what I'm saying? It's like these people. Does she like, still, do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm sure she's traveling and, you know, it's, but I, yeah. I still probably gets through at least two or three, like more than most people. I mean, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but you know, when I come across people like that, it's like, Oh, well, this makes sense. Like this, they're really, they're really doing it and they have to do it. And you know, it's effortless. And well, I know Julia told me that Scott, I feel like he'll be writing and watching a documentary and like listening to something all at the same time. Like I can't do that. No, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. He's there's crazy. a, there's a writer, the guy who wrote my cousin, my gastroenterologist, Mark Lehner. Uh-huh. He used to like purposely do that, like flood uh-huh. his senses with like media, like listen to the radio and have like, Ugh, you know, sounds horrible. Yeah. But he would use it to like pick up stuff for his writing. Uh, like your subconscious or something. I want to say I read an interview. I could be totally hmm. fucking this up, but that I think that just I, sounds horrible. I, I just like one thing at a time. So do you want to be a, you want to be a, a big time famous author? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like, I don't think of it like that. I'm like, if 10 people read my book, cool. Like, that's awesome. I don't think that it's going to be widely read. I'm just saying like, I think it should be, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but I don't have delusions of grandeur. And and it's, you think it should be because, well, I just think it's a very, uh, timely book that I don't know. I just feel like it's the type of book that usually people talk about like like uh i love dick like because it's been compared to that by some people that have read it um do you like that book i actually i had that book and i like kind of skimmed it but i never read it because i couldn't get into the letters or or whatever the i haven't read it yet i want it's one of those books i should read yeah so i actually gave it to my daughter's friend but um I saw one of the episodes of the show. <laughs> oh, right. They made it into yeah. an Amazon show, yeah. show. But anyway, I just, I don't know. I think that there's like a lot to talk about in, in the book. So who's, who knows? We'll see. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, I tore through it. It's weird because it's a long book, but like the way that it's laid out on the page, like a lot of it really flies by. That's what a couple of people told me they read it in two days, which I was like, wow, 600 pages in two days. I, but I kind of did yeah. too. I read it yeah. like, and I, that's unusual for me. Cause I'm mm-hmm. usually, like I said, I've been reading the same Muhammad Ali biography for like yeah. six months. But yeah, I think once you get past a certain point, then it goes pretty quick. I feel like you're really good at literary gossip too. <laughs> you mean in my writing or yeah. in real life? Yeah. Like, Cause like you'll dish. I feel like sometimes in I'm the reading, writing, sometimes I feel like I've read stuff from you online Oh. where you're telling stories about like Dave Eggers or something. Oh. Don't you have Dave Eager stories? I well, mis- I have an essay about how I, I got basically my daughter said I got catfished before catfishing was a thing. Like when I was first online in 2002, maybe this is like a long story. And I wonder if we covered this in the other one, but I was just going to say, maybe, yeah. maybe that's where yeah. I got it. You told yeah. me about Dave Eggers. Yeah. But I, anyway, I thought that I was communicating with Dave Eggers and of course it wasn't Dave Eggers. And so who was it? Just some married guy in texas who's impersonating dave Eggers? <laughs> and now he's divorced of course. But, but no nothing ever came of that but um did you ever meet dave eggers well i met him the night where i thought i was gonna meet dave eggers okay, right. and like my friend went up to it was a whole it was a horrible scene <laughs> I, like i left crying he left right after that it was just not a good you're like dave my friend was like my friend elizabeth blah, blah, blah. And he's like, um, I'm not online that much. Like it's not me. And it was just really embarrassing. I wonder if he, so he, okay. Cause I'm trying to, I guess maybe you told me this, but he, your friend went up to him and was like, this is Elizabeth. We were at a, at a, somehow we were at the same party after a reading. Okay. Right. And there, it was like in Texas and 
who knows, maybe that the fake, the imposter Dave Eggers was there. I, I still don't know. Do you know what he looks like? Yeah, he's like a tall, skinny, hippie guy. Impersonating but, Eggers. Yeah. Well, I mean, he would say he wasn't. He would be like, I told you I wasn't Dave Eggers, but he'd always do it like, oh, you still think I'm Dave? Ha ha. That's cute. Like, but we, I don't know. He never really did anything to make me. I mean, granted, I'm a little crazy, but. Aren't we all? <laughs> but so anyway, yeah, we it all came crashing down at this after reading party in Texas. That's so awkward. I, I want to say I talked to another author on this show who had like a thing with Dave Eggers. An actual thing? No, but it was like a, like a thing where it was like kind of like an, a, an interest and like went to a reading and wanted to meet him and like felt this connection. Really? Yeah. It was probably me and you just like conflated it. No, there's somebody else. Who? Um, Woman? Yeah. Roxanne? No. <laughs> Did she have a thing for Dave? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start a rumor. Like Roxanne Gay in love with Dave Eggers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know. He had a very, like, I feel like he had, you know, he's had, this is the thing. Uh, here's what I think about Dave Eggers. Cause I remember when, <laughs> his, car- me. <laughs> when, his, when his career launched with uh, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius. Like I yeah. remember that moment. I was mm-hmm. a young person just like starting to like nurse, like any kind of literary ambition or whatever. And was like, Oh wow, this guy's doing it. Mm-hmm, that was yeah. what I felt like. I was like, he got the thing. He launched like so many other people like going, Oh, he's doing it. I can do it. Well, yeah. But, and then he like, you know, and then he, yeah, the McSweeney's thing and like yeah. the eight two six. And it's like, Jesus, this mm-hmm. guy's like, you know, he's like unstoppable force. And then, <laughs> um, the thing that I admire is that he just very smartly just keeps his head down and just keeps working. Yeah. And like doesn't participate online, doesn't do anything. Yeah. I guess he has the luxury. Mm-hmm. I've talked about, I mean, you know, this conversation's had a lot where it's like, well, look, if you're uh, a rich, famous author, mm-hmm. you don't have to be fucking around on Facebook and like groveling for readership and stuff like that. But then you, I'm like, why is Ben Affleck on Twitter? Like if I was a celebrity, like why, who needs the pain? Like, yeah. why are you on there? Yeah. Like keep some mystery and don't have people telling you you're an asshole constantly. Yeah. Well, but no. anyway, so yeah, so Dave Eggers, but a lot of people that don't really need it either are, I don't know. So just certain even, people get even, I've never even it. heard Dave Eggers speak. I've never you seen. You haven't been to a reading? No, I've never seen a video of him. I don't know what? anything. He's no. very soft. He has like a soft, sweet kind of voice. That's what I kind of expect. <laughs> He's like, is there charisma? Is there like a... Yeah. Super charismatic. Super charismatic. Or at least he was in the McSweeney days when he used to go around and do all that. Now draw big going? crowds. Of course. Yeah. I wonder if he still does. Does he still draw crowds? I don't think he does that kind of thing anymore. Doesn't give a shit. No. I don't even know if he does re- readings. I don't... I, haven't, I don't keep up on Dave Eggers anymore, actually. Who are you keeping, who are you keeping <laughs> up with these days? Um... John Steinbeck is like my current crush. Really? Yeah. Why? Well, cause I'm reading the travels with Charlie and it's oh, like really okay. funny. But it's not like you're picking through all of his books. You just travel. No, just this one. What yeah. other books did you pack on your trip? Well, I packed my Kindle and I have a bunch of books on there, but now, Oh, I actually started Gatsby again. I like read that every year. Like every person says they do. And Oh, I got Strangers on the Train to read on the train by Patricia Highsmith, but huh. then I didn't get to that because I was reading the other book. Is there a cricket in here? I think there is. <laughs> I, wonder anyway. if my, I wonder if my listeners can hear that. But I have a lot of books on my Kindle. Do you read on your Kindle? 
Uh, I read on my phone. Yes, yeah, so like the Kindle app. Like this during is my... at home, you should be drinking when people start talking about their Kindle. <laughs> Just start doing shots. <laughs> no, but I do. Like, I mean, it's like it's, it comes in handy if I'm like traveling or if I'm at, like you know I go out to lunch yeah. on my work days or whatever, and it's like my little like like have like a moment to yourself. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for me to enjoy a book on my phone. Like mm. get like really engrossed. on your phone. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it. Uh, you know, the little Kindle app on my phone, I find oh. it difficult to sort oh, of like... Oh, that's what you're reading. You're, you don't have an actual Kindle. No. Well, oh. I mean, I do somewhere. But oh, I, okay. I read. A, I like to read paper books. Unless it's like just impossible <sighs> I wish you could just throw your phone away for like a month and see how great your life is. Well, I kind of did after Trump got elected. It's the closest uh-huh. I've come where I took the internet off my phone, mm-hmm. took social media, shut it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wound up reading between like election day or like, you know, the beginning of December mm-hmm. to like Feb- mid February, I read like 50 books. Yeah. <laughs> I read tons. It's awesome. Yeah. The thing I find is when I do like, okay, I'm going to take a break from all internet stuff. Like within 24 hours, I feel so much better. It is like an addiction, like, and it, it only takes a little bit of time away from it. And you just start feeling like normal, like none of that stuff matters. Whatever you get upset about, you know, from being online or that world, it all goes away and it doesn't matter. Yeah. I've said this recently, but there's a dude in my work who's like like tech bro. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you realize that you're they have these smartphones, like they actually like design them and like created the color palette to mimic yeah. slot machines. Yeah. Everything about it's addictive. It's like a little mini, like. And Facebook know. too, like all that stuff they've designed, obviously, so that you'll never leave it. Damn. I just, but I feel like I have to use it. I guess I got to get the intern mm-hmm. to like take that shrapnel for me yeah. <laughs> so I can go be healthy. <laughs> and then you can go on there occasionally, but you don't need to be there every day. Right. I wonder, I need to enforce that discipline upon I mean, I feel like I'm enforcing so many disciplines upon myself. Like I, <laughs> I eat pretty well. I exercise regularly. So that's regularly. your like, that's my that's smoking my... <laughs> or my whatever it is. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I, I don't have very many vices. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I'm sort of well, really need to start smoking and then you'll get rid of the, do you smoke? Uh, like maybe once every six days. Oh, I'll have like a cigarette or something. The Elizabeth Allen discipline. <laughs> yeah. Who, who smokes every six days? I don't really have an addictive personality other than, obsession with people yeah i don't either i mean i I mean i don't have i don't know what i i guess the internet yeah i mean but like what else am i addicted to pretty regimented sometimes i feel like i need to be more flexible Mm. like you know like roll the punches and like just like do you have your day scheduled and if things get thrown off does that bum you out no but it going back to like i haven't been drunk in 25 years i do kind of wish that i could like let go and get really drunk just once or, you know, just the sense of letting go and not caring like, well, tomorrow you'd be hung over or, you know, that kind of, have you ever been shit faced? Yeah. But not in a long time. You ever done, uh, like uh, hallucinogens? Yeah. I did acid twice. How was that? That's letting go. You don't have a choice. Yeah. The first time was fine. And the second time was horrible. And that I was, was like, never again. Never, yeah, <laughs> I'm good. It's a 15 hour commitment. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big commitment. Yeah. It's a different type of person that likes hallucinogens. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, I, uh, I've, I have like, I harbor like fantasies. I think it's like the quick fix fantasy mm-hmm. where like, it's some sort of like spiritual fast forward. 
the hallucinogen. Yeah. Or that, you know, that it's going to give you some sort of insight or it's going to like knock away cobwebs, you know, and, and free up whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's mm-hmm. going to have that kind of effect on you, like a liberating effect somehow. And yeah. I don't think that's a hundred percent false, but I don't think it's, there's no, there's no magic bullet. Are they still using it in actual psychology? You know, how like Timothy Leary and how they used it. Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah, there's some. Like Cary Grant used it with therapy. Yeah, no, there are some, I think there are some legit, or at least there have been legit scientific uh, experiments, especially around uh, death. Mm. Like people who have terminal illness will take it and. They take LSD. Or psilocybin in like pill form. Like there's a big article in the New York Times about it. And these people have like, they do have like legit transformative experiences on it where. Hmm they sort of feel their oneness with all that is. And like, this is what the, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing what they come back with. And then they feel like it was one of the top, like three to five experiences of their life, you know, and that their fear of death has been like markedly diminished because they had like a, you know, they had like a real experience, not like an intellectual experience, but like an actual lived experience, um, either of that felt oneness or of, like real, they like, they actually confront those fears. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You get down into it. And like people who, especially I think people who take too much, which might like in some, you know, some, in some schools of thought, that's actually the point. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like take a, a fuckload of them mm-hmm. so that you really, I think that's what happened to me the second time. Cause my boyfriend at the time, I think he gave me too much. <laughs> Was it, did you, did you have a, a did you ever have any, a, did any part of the experience include uh, either like an acute fear of death or a sense of like, Oh my God, I'm dying or I died. No, just the acute fear that I was going crazy oh, that you were going and I would never be sane again. Okay. But there's no, there's no death. I feel like that's scarier than death. Yeah. Like to be mad and never come back to sanity. Right. It just make this fucking shit stop. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> so yeah, those days, I feel like those days, I mean, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. Like maybe when I'm like 70 and I'm on a train or something, I'll, uh, you know, I'll sit down next to somebody in the cafeteria during communal seating and <laughs> communal seating. <laughs> I'll s- sit down next to somebody like Elizabeth Allen and you start babbling. <laughs> I'm having a spiritual breakthrough. Um, well, it's good to see you. Yeah. Did we cover everything? You got any literary gossip? No, literary gossip bit me in the ass, so I don't keep literary gossip anymore. Yeah, you, got, you had enough of that. <laughs> yeah, I was the literary gossip, so that's I'm good. You've had, yeah, you've had your experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I hope you have a good time out here. Thank you. Uh, thanks, thanks for, for having me. Well, thanks for coming over after like a long train trip and uh, safe travels back to Michigan on your uh, your solo road trip. And shout out to Saul Stories is coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah. Oh, my God. So everybody should read that, too. And it should be taught in universities. <laughs> that also is a masterpiece. So. Well, it's good to see you. Okay, thank you. Okay, guys, there you go. That's Elizabeth Ellen. Her new story collection is called Saul Stories. It's available from Short Flight Long Drive Books. Her novel is called Persona. And her uh, poetry collection is called Elizabeth Ellen. Be on the lookout for those. Track them down. Buy them. Get your copies. Read them. Elizabeth Ellen. Always fun to hang out with her. And I really admire the way she, uh, she does the work, you know? And is a big contributor to the literary community, which we didn't really get into, but 
A lot of good stuff happening at Hobart. Uh, I think her uh, her only web presence, if I have this correct, is uh, the Hobart Twitter feed, at Hobart Pulp. Maybe there's a Facebook page. I don't even think she would want you to know. <laughs> She'd be terrified if you tracked her down online. But the uh, Hobart Twitter is at Hobart Pulp, and then you can find it online. It's a great uh, literary site, HobartPulp.com. Elizabeth Ellen, go get her books. Uh, I also admire her for taking the train. We, you know, we didn't get into it. We just talked about, you know, there was brief discussion about the bathroom situation, washing one's face in this tiny sink, but like, you poop on the train? I should have asked her that. I missed my opportunity. Sharing a bathroom with five other passengers? That's just, it's a lot of togetherness. Am I being too neurotic? I guess you just have to roll with the punches in life. I feel like I would need my own car. It's my problem. I want my own train. <laughs> that would be, you know, like, you know, people have private jets. It'd be great to have a private train. Can that be done? Does anybody have a private train? There's got to be an eccentric billionaire who's terrified of flight. Likes to travel by rail. Because you could travel at a higher speed, right? Now I'm curious. I feel like that's got to happen. You just got to pay some sort of fee. You can use like the, you know, what is it called? Like Union Pacific or whatever. They'll let you put a train on there. Four or five cars long. Got like a workout car and like a movie, you know, like an entertainment car. Got your own home gym. Office. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for all the music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget about the app. This podcast has its own app. It's free. Track it down wherever you get your apps. If you want to write me an email, it's letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. Let me know what you think. If you want to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. What else? I think that's it. Those are the logistics. A lot of scandals in the news. A lot of awfulness. A lot of bad people doing bad things. Is there such a thing? I guess there are bad people. I feel weird about that. I like to think that people are redeemable, but maybe some people aren't. A lot of men doing things they shouldn't be doing. It's a weird time. Okay. I think that's it. (laughs) 